Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. I hope you follow the show and have subscribed to the podcast because it's free. We would love to have you as part of our community. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast app or through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the podcast past episodes, as well as our guest bio and contact information. So be sure to check it out at www.culinaryschoolstories.com. And now, without any further delay, I would like to introduce today's guest who has a great story to share with all of us. A native of Bolivia, he is a graduate of Johnson Wales University's four-year culinary nutrition degree program. And throughout his career, he has cooked for the NFL, MLB, NHL, even Olympic athletes, and has a vision and desire to disrupt the world as it is known and leave a long-lasting legacy in the food, health, and sports world. Chef Mario Lima Duran, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Chef. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to... uh... To be here, um, you know, we go way back to culinary school, so it's uh, kind of funny to uh, to be in this uh, this podcast with you. So many years, yeah. How many? When when did you leave North Miami campus? How many years has it been now? It's been so. I have a clear memory of your class. Your class was probably the hardest class I took as a freshman. Wow, <laughs> this was 2010. So I was in North Miami from 2012 10 to 2012. And then I did my last two years on the Denver campus from 2012 to 2014. Oh, great. Yeah. So you moved on. You got the nutrition degree. And what was the class that was the hardest for you? Um, it was stock soups and sauces. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I thought that was going to be one of the classes that I liked the least, but it was the most challenging and you didn't make it any easy. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were a chef in all regards and you were expecting excellence from all of us and you know, as a freshman, it was very overwhelming going into the Johnson & Wells curriculum and, and jumping right into um, working uh, in a kitchen, you know, having to get tested on the cuts. Um, I didn't even know what a Julianne was. My knives weren't sharp. It, it was, man, it was difficult. You're making all the stocks, all the, all the sauces, the mother sauces. It was, it's crazy because now, you know, so many years later, that was 2012 or whatever we were, almost in 2022. 10 years later, you know, that base of your class continues to be such a big part of my life. And over the last year, there's been, for whatever reason, a massive focus of research and development at my job on sauces. So we created, you know, our own mother sauces. So going through the books and and going back to your class, remembering everything that I learned and applying that in a real setting, that was, that was massive for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is the fundamental or foundational course that, and sometimes that's great to have as your first course because it sets you up, um, you know, knowing those sauces, the bases, the knife cuts. Uh, but it's also, it's a, it's a tough one because uh, with the curriculum, we, it's like throwing you right into the deep end of the pool. You know, it's no easy way into culinary school. It's like, there you are, immersed right away, and let's get going. 
it was definitely a big aha moment kind of like whoa <laughs> there's a lot to be learned here this is not just cooking this is not ratatouille so it was a big well, yeah you know it was a big like aha moment for me that's what a lot of you know people I interview for this. They always say, you know, some of them say that you know they didn't know what to, I guess, expect or they didn't expect that, you know, the, the I guess how hard it was going to be or the intensity of it, you know, the dynamics. And so they go in. They thought, you know, we'll just cook some lunch and maybe we'll have a snack and we'll learn a few things. And they're like, no, we're producing. We've got dining rooms. We've got beverage. We've got, you know, they just didn't realize the intensity. Is that what you found as well coming in? Yeah, the first the first set of labs, I believe the, the the lab that I took with you was either the second or the third. It was one of the first three, um, and you know I I so vividly remember my younger self being scared of like, holy cow, what have I gotten myself into? Like I could see kids that were coming from high school programs, culinary high school programs, and they knew how to saute. They they like already had the essence of what a cook being a cook is. Mm -hmm. um or was and then i went in there green as i could be and you know slowly didn't even understand what stewing and braising were even though i had seen it so many times you know putting a definition to mm -hmm. a cooking process was just overwhelming so i remember there was a, a sophomore a french girl who of course had been there for a year and was taking some of her freshman uh labs and i told her you know like am i am i gonna be able to catch up to all of you guys like I feel so there's so much information I feel so overwhelmed and she's she shared the same experience she said hey I, I felt the same way last year but don't worry it's part of the process you know it's you're gonna get there um it's just you you're starting now so don't feel overwhelmed um just know that this, everyone goes through this so you know that's a memory I I haven't really shared with anyone but it's a memory I have it very present every single day of my career and that's, that's good to bring up because we do have a lot of listeners that are in the high school level, maybe interested in going to culinary school and, and they may be feared it. And I've even had some guests on the show that were, you know, older. It was their second career and they were wondering, can I do it? Am I going to be able to, you know, hang in there with the younger? And, and everybody, I guess, has doubts whenever they're trying something new. They're stepping out of their comfort zone. So, sure. you know, I, I think bringing that up, what you're saying is like, just hang in there. It's like almost like the military boot camp. Everybody starts with nothing and then you <laughs> work your way up and then, you know, look back, yeah. you go, wow, it wasn't so bad. But at the time it was terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And the military aspect of within the French brigade, you know, it's very, <laughs> there's a very clear uh, line there. Um, but yes, it's, it's definitely the boot camp of, of culinary, of the culinary world or, or career for someone. Yeah. And if anyone's listening, you know, most culinary schools, you know, Johnson & Wales included, has a high retention rate and a high graduation rate. So, you know, we don't have chefs in there that are mean and stuff. Yeah. Sure. Like they used to describe me. He's strict but fair. You know, yeah. we're fair. We're going to help people get through. Our job is, you know, to help people. Uh, student success is our success. But at the same time, we do have, you know, quality and, and benchmarks that we want to hit. We want to make sure everybody's successful when they get out because, you're paying a lot of money and spending a lot of time, a lot of resources to go to that school. So, we, you know, we want to take it seriously. Yeah. And I think that's a great clarifying point. You know, there was never a chef that screamed at me or yelled at me, uh, but there was always a strict sort of look, the, the, the sort of dad look of like, dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> let's get this right. You got to get, you got to get that right. You got to get this right. So, you know, stern, but very, very loving and very, uh, the ultimate well-being of a student is, is always in line. So um, now looking back at it, I'm, I'm, I'm insanely grateful, insanely, insanely grateful for it. 
Great, great. So why don't we jump back? What made you go to culinary school in the first place? And why did you pick Johnson and Wales? Great question. Um, well, you know, to be candid, I was between Johnson Wells and the CIA. Um, I toured the Johnson Wells Providence campus, and I also toured the CIA campus in upstate New York. Um, I thought I was going to go to the CIA. Um, it was, you know, the name of the CIA, of Culinary Institute of America. It's it's got a great name behind it. It's got a great history behind it. Great chefs have come out of it. Yep. Um, and so I toured both of them. Ultimately, I got treated more as a student and as a human at Johnson Wells than at, at the CIA. At the CIA, when we were going through the financial aid process, um, you know, I was given loans and I've never been a believer of, of, of loans. Neither has my family, though we had to get some loans out. It wasn't much, think, thankfully. Um, we uh, we felt more welcomed at Johnson Wells. Uh, the financial aid process was much more giving and it was a better package overall and of course it was it's an accredited university so that was also a big big deal for for myself and for my family um and i i mentioned the movie ratatouille uh, earlier on the podcast um and that had a big influence in why i went into culinary school um the story that, that i tell is is this so when i was in fifth grade um as you mentioned in my intro i'm originally from bolivia so this is back in bolivia I went to an all guys Catholic school and we, we had really small classes, right? Like imagine fifth grade having 16 kids. We had a total of 300 kids in the school. Um, so during fifth grade, we were a class of, I believe, 16 to 18 kids. And um, we always had celebrations for birthdays and whatnot every single month. And so everybody would bring a soda, everybody would bring chips or something like that. And at this point I decided that I wanted to bring a pizza. And so being the kid that I was and having no culinary background or expertise of any sort, um, you know, we went to the store with my mom and we bought a pre-made dough. We bought the pre-made sauce. We bought the pepperoni, bought the cheese. I put it all together and just layered it up, put it in the oven, took it to the uh, to school the next uh, next day. Um, and I also had a similar experience where my uh, my grandma would make the dough and then we would make the pizza. Um, and I just, I shared that pizza with my friends, with my classmates, and they raved about it. They were like, Mars pizza is the best. Uh, when are you going to make it again? This was delicious. I'm so glad you, you brought it. And I got this beautiful sense of, of falling in love. I fell in love with the sense of, of giving people a good experience through food. And that was what turned me into like, oh, there's something here. And then a couple of years later, so this was fifth grade. In eighth grade, I watched Ratatouille. And this, this idea of like providing an experience through food is also very much a part of my family. Um, in South America, you, uh, in Bolivia, you get together, you know, every single weekend with family, you go uh, to someone's family, uh, sorry, to a family member's house, you have some tea and tea involves uh, baking pastries, it involves sandwiches, whatever the case may be. So food is always, it brings people together in, in the culture and in, 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 in any culture as well. Um, so my grandma was always very hospitality driven and ultimately in eighth grade i watched ratatouille and i was like that's what i want to do i fell in love with it <laughs> ratatouille was i you know i gotta thank in, in some ways uh to chef thomas keller for that and for being such a big part of that movie um i fell in love with what that movie communicated what it showed the culture of the kitchen the mixing of, of ingredients so that's why i decided to go to culinary school and you know ever since then i never turned my I've never changed my mind again. So 
it was either Johnson Wilson or the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> what did your family think? Were they, I'm guessing they're supportive of you. They wanted you to go, or are they hoping you would go a different route? My mom and my dad, I'm very blessed to say they've always been supportive of whatever we wanted to do. My mom always had this very supportive mindset of like, hey, Mario, do what you want to do. I just want you to you know, be happy um, and have a career, but be happy doing it. And so there were, there were comments here and there from my grandmother sometimes that, you know, I had picked something too hard or maybe I should look into something else. Some friends that had a big influence in my life. Also I had some similar comments, but ultimately I was, I was set in my mind and whether they liked it or not, you know, I, I really didn't care much. I, I'm thankful that they supported me through it all. Um, and through, through the education that I got at Johnson Wells, you know, I'm, I'm now here in, in this position today. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. I was looking on the website of where you're at and it's, it's awesome. And I want to get to that, but let's go back to culinary school. What was it like day one? So you get on campus, they're giving you all the tools and you're going in that line and getting uniforms <laughs> that don't fit and books and tell us yeah. like what's going through the head and your mind and what, what are you, what are you thinking? I was so excited. I even like took my my chef coats and pants to get them pressed. I was so excited. I wanted to look great. I hated the shoes. They were too heavy. The pants were too baggy. Uh, I was never a fan of those. Um, but you know, I wanted to look good. I wanted to look the par. But it was it was overwhelming. I I didn't have like a typical first two years of college because I I was a commuter. Um, I had graduated high school from Miami, and so I would just go up and down from Coral Gables to uh, North Miami. So it was it was weird from a community friendship standpoint because I I wasn't there I didn't know mm-hmm. many people so it was kind of foreign um, and walking through those hallways in the morning cold mornings half sleep it was uncomfortable it was very uncomfortable that's that's what I can remember um, I always had a difficult time waking up on time for <laughs> for the labs um, I, a certain chefs gave me bad grades because I was constantly late, you know, but that, that really shaped me. That really helped me become a better, more responsible professional down the line. Um, but yeah, I, I guess in, in summary, it, it was uncomfortable across the board. It was, it was weird. It was different. I didn't know if I had picked the right school. Um, I, I didn't know if I was going to fit at Johnson Wells. So with everything, it was kind of like starting high school over again, you know, that new fresh start feeling that everybody I think can relate to. Uh, but in, in a college setting. Mm-hmm. And did it at some point, something change, click, and it was like, oh, this is, I'm comfortable now. I feel I fit in. I got a little bit of roots here. Or did it take a while for that? Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with time, the beautiful thing about the labs is that the same people that w- were taking a set of labs during one trimester decided to pick the same times, the same labs for the following trimester. So there was a group that sort of became part of, you know, my labs and, some friendships were formed. Um, I had a, I still have a really good friend. His name is Mario. So it was big Mario and little Mario. Um, he, he's a lot bigger than I am. Um, so, you know, the two of us became really good friends and took a lot of those courses and just, there was a lot of sort of camaraderie that, that got formed uh, through the labs. But like with anything in life, you know, at first it's uncomfortable. At first it's new and I was kind of walking on an eggshells and didn't necessarily know where to go or what to do. But um, like, like with anything in life, it, it just becomes better yeah. with time. I just felt like I needed to give it time and and just stay the course. Um, I was already committed to the to university. And in my mind, personally, me as Mario, I'm very committed. And once I say something and I declare something, I stay the course, even though it, it, it may suck a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of the times for, you know, 
the first period of time. So um, it's not it's not that nothing clicked. It was just I was very sure that this is what I wanted to do. And that's a good point about giving it time because, you know, if anyone is listening and thinking about going to culinary school or any time, a college, university, you know, big change in their life. One, do your research. Make sure it's really something that you want and that you can afford it and things. And then two, once you make that commitment and, you know, and make, make that decision, stick with it. It's too easy to give up and walk away to try to be comfortable. Hang in there. It will get better, and it should get better because you did your research, and this is something that was really important to you that you really wanted. So, you know, let it play it out, go through the, you know, play its course, mm -hmm. and, and it should, you know, be what you imagine eventually. Yeah, and there's so much to the culinary industry too, especially after COVID. You know, there's, there's just so many more opportunities there. So to your point, I think there's something to be said about the leg ratification and, and culinary school and, and the culinary industry as a, as a cook first and then a chef, like you're not good at all at first. Maybe if you're an anomaly and you know, you're like a LeBron for the culinary world, that's completely different and you're really good, but nobody's really good at their knife cuts. Nobody's really good at remembering sauces. No, it's, it takes time and practice. And I, I feel I'm finally, I can finally call myself a chef 12 years later because I've been in it for 12 years. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like being a medic, right? I think Gordon, I once saw a, a video from Gordon Ramsay who said, uh, being a chef or becoming a chef is very much like being a doctor. You, you don't become a doctor in five, six, seven, eight, you know, 10 years. It takes time. You got to go through school. You got to do the practice. You got to understand all of this. And, you know, 12 years later, I can finally say, you know what? I'm, I'm good at cooking. I can and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to to boast or, or from an egotistical standpoint, but I'm saying that to communicate that it takes a lot of time to get to the the, port, the point where you want to be. And if someone that's listening really wants to become a chef, you know, down the line um, and a, a good one, then got to stay the course and got to give it time. Uh, that delay gratification is huge in this industry and it takes a lot of work and practice and 12 years of practice will make anybody good at anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon and it's a journey and you should be enjoying it as you go. Absolutely. It's, it's like he said, it's like it's like medical school is culinary school. Once you get out, you're not the doctor. You have to go do the residency. You have to go perfect. You have to work under different doctors to you know learn your craft, learn the, the science, and then you're ready. And, and most people I talk to, and I agree, it's about 10 years. You know, So if you get a chef's job right out of culinary school, I would say no. You're definitely not ready. You wouldn't be a very good chef. Wait, work on other people, You know, pay you the dues, climb that ladder. And then in 10 years or so, sure. And then you that's that delayed gratification. Then your career is, is all right there in front of you, whatever way you want to go with it. Yeah. And, and there's something you, you just said, pay your dues. You know, it's, it's interesting. Life continues to work the same way, even though times have changed and we have technology and everything's so sped up nowadays, but paying dues is something that in life, especially in the culinary industry that one gets to do no matter what time, whether it's the 1800s or 2025, everybody's got to go through that process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's going to suck. Sometimes it's going to be very uncomfortable. You're going to burn sauces and stuff like that, but it's, it's part of the journey. So definitely agree with you for Harley chef that, you know, trusting and enjoying the process is, is huge in this, in this industry. Yeah. I mean, if you could, you could look at, you know, chopping that other bushel of parsley or peeling that bushel of potatoes in many ways, you could look at it like, oh man, this stinks. And I wish I wasn't here. What am I doing? And then poor me and pity me. Or you can look at it like, this is just part of that journey. And while I'm doing this, let me look around and see what everyone else is doing. Maybe I could do something after this or just before this and, you know, keep that learning, keep that positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely stay curious. I, I definitely agree with that. So did you have a favorite class or a worst class or well, <laughs> anything you remember back in that? 
Yeah, I actually still have my grade for my worst class. Um, I kept that as a reminder of how, if I didn't dedicate the time, how bad I could I could be. Um, it was um, what was the class? It was a breakfast class. Uh, food service production. Oh, um, food, uh, fundamentals of food service production. Yes, and it was with this really hardcore chef. Um, chef, uh, he had a mustache. Uh, was the English? I believe so. <laughs> Maybe uh, La Castra. La Castra. There we go. It was Chef La Castra. He was the He'll one. He'll probably be listening to this. He'll be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Chef La Castra, for being such a hard-ass chef. I, I did, and Apologies for my French there, but he was someone who definitely took the ch- the the child sort of enamored, you know, hopeless romantic aspect of why I was a culinary school and through his example and through his uh, stern way of being showed me that I needed to take this a little more serious, a lot more serious. And so um, I got in my practical, I think I got a six out of 10, a four out of 10, three out of 10, something, something just like I was, I was embarrassed. I almost didn't pass a class. And I remember practicing the most for that class. I took, I, I grabbed the a flat of 24 eggs at home. And I started, <laughs> I started, you know, doing the over easy. I started poaching. I started scrambling. I started uh, making omelets and thanks to him to this day, I am very rigorous about the expectations that I have for omelets and those around me that cook omelets, right? And egg cookery became a love because of of his uh, of his teaching, of his style. And anyway, at the time, I thought he hated me. I I don't think he ever liked me. Honestly, <laughs> he he really did not like me. He was like, "You're always late. You're never on time." Um, that stretch of laps was the worst that that I ever sort of behaved, and it wasn't my best self showing up. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the most rewarding at the same time. You know, that's, uh, I was humbled. I was very humble with Shabbat Kasser. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a class that people don't think is that important sometimes looking at from the outside, you know, they want to get into the, the meat, the saute and roasting. And then that's the hardest part. And that's one of the tests I used to use when I was a chef in the industry and I was hiring a new cook or something, have them make an omelet. It's yeah. simple. It doesn't cost a lot of money if they ruin it, but it tells you so much about the candidate. Absolutely. And I've heard that throughout many, many stages. I remember really wanting to work at this uh, modernist cuisine restaurant in Denver. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, something being the squeaky bean, something really cool, like funky like that. Um, and I was reading how to get a stage online and the chefs did that. You know, you had to poach an egg, you had to cook an easy egg and you had to scramble or make an omelette as well. So um, now I'm very confident about all that, <laughs> but at the time, you know, I wasn't, um, so I would say that's, that was the hardest and the worst. And like I told you, I still have a paper somewhere, you know, as, as a reminder, like if you didn't dedicate yourself to, to your craft, this is where you could be. This is how you can show up. But also uh, I would say that my, my, my culinary nutritional labs in Denver, where some of the, of the funnest ones that I had, um, athletic performance cuisine was by far one of the f- funnest ones. Um, what was the other one? Uh, designing healthy desserts was so fun. Mm. Uh, I, I got so creative in that lab. It, it was great. Um, the people were also pretty great in, in, in it. Um, so across the board at the culinary nutrition program was my favorite part of, of the four years at Johnson Walls. Awesome. Let's talk about that. What made you jump to nutrition? Because you came in knowing nothing, right? You started to learn to cook yeah. sometime between when you entered in that graduation of that associate's degree something clicked that made you want to pursue 
with a bachelor's in nutrition rather than culinary or baking or entrepreneurship or business. You went that route. Do you, can you put a finger on that? Do you know what that was? Yeah, I, a couple of things. Uh, one, the, fr- the friend that I mentioned, Mario, Mario Mara, who's now the chef at the Arizona Coyotes, um, him and I, you know, we were super close, still are. And he was very interested in nutrition. You know, he, he was lifting. He, he was one of those guys. And so um, I took a nutrition class as part of our of our uh, requirement courses at Johnson Wells. And I really, really liked it. And it came to me very easily. And I started hearing about the CN4, the C4 program. I don't know what they call it, but the culinary nutrition program. And um, I heard about it in the Providence campus. So I was very interested in t- testing that out. Um I just got curious. And so I went and visited the Providence campus again, I believe. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could move here. I didn't like it. I, personally, I, I dislike the Providence campus mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> it's not my favorite. I don't think I could have seen myself there. And then the same professor that I had for the nutrition course, which is during my sophomore year um, at North Miami said, Hey, have you checked out the Denver campus? It's one of the most beautiful campuses we have. And I, I candidly hadn't even thought about Denver. Denver was just this very like obscure place in my mind. Um, never even thought about living in Colorado or outside of Miami at that point. And, and I said, no, I haven't, but you know, let me see it. And I saw pictures and pictures don't do justice to the campus. It, the campus is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Very beautiful. And, you know, I texted my friend Mario. I was like, Hey man, you know, what do you think about doing this in Denver? And he was like, I don't know. What do you think? I was like, well, this professor just said it's the most beautiful campus, so we should kind of just do it. And he was like, all right, let's do it. So on a whim, we decided to change from Providence to Denver. And it was one of the best decisions I made for my professional career. Um, so it was very organic, honestly. It was kind of like life was guiding me in, in, into that path, and there was no resistance. It just came. I accepted it, and I just went with it, and I, I rolled with it. Mm-hmm. And many people say Denver is very similar to Miami, you know, similar in size and also kind of the culture. You know, people are more seem to be friendlier mm. than some of the larger the larger campus, Providence or Charlotte. So I don't know if you found that when you got yeah. there. There was a similar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the the size of the campus was definitely similar. It was very small, um, very intimate, um, much more beautiful than the North Miami campus. Uh, in all honesty, the the buildings were just mind-blowing beautiful um the the professors were great uh the chefs were great people were very friendly um across the board in denver people are super friendly so yeah um it was a great experience it's a great city for for food and and beverage you know there's so many breweries there's just so many distilleries great food um so it it was a great great change of scene definitely missed the beach but it was a great change of scene across the board and it, it kept the essence of johnson wells but with the beauty of what John, of what the Denver campus offered. Right, right. You want to give a shout out to any professors you had there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dean uh, De La Torre, he, he's actually half Bolivian. Um, yeah. So we connected instantly. Uh, that was something very unique. And he was always such a great support system to to myself. Uh, became a good fr- uh, family friend as well. So shout out to Chef De La Torre. And he's he's still there. Yeah. I mean, even though they sold the campus, he yeah. stayed on. He was just a guest on this podcast oh, no a few weeks back. Oh, that's awesome. So you can look listen, listen to his episode. That's awesome. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, definitely have a very special love for him. Uh, Marlene Swanson, who was the um, the chair the chair of the culinary nutrition program. She was a great supporter, also a great mentor. Um, definitely helped me a lot throughout the two years. And she was a big cheerleader for 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 myself. She 
was a big supporter of, of my drive and was always in the back background supporting all my endeavors and continues to do so in a very silent way through LinkedIn and Facebook. So, you know, relationships like that, I think, are, are so important to have. And as a student who is trying to figure out what to do, to have that that voice that says, hey, you know, these are your options and I see something great in you, like instill that belief in you, I think was was definitely huge. Um, and, and I think most importantly, Chef Sachs, Adam Sachs, He's been a massive mentor of mine, and thanks to him is thanks to his guidance and uh, to his class and to him being him. I am where I am, and I am the professional that I am as well. Um, a lot of credit goes out to him. So, huge shout out to to Chef Sex. He knows that I I love him. I love him to death. Um, I was in Denver a couple of weeks ago, and we we cut up. We we met up, and it was great. So beautiful three relationships there that, that I formed within the Denver campus. Yeah, they're all they're all great educators, yep. passionate about what they do and about their students. Very much so. Okay, at this halfway point in the show, I want to take a quick pause and tell you about an amazing opportunity from one of the industry leaders in culinary and hospitality online education. Whether you are an individual looking to get more training in the front or back of the house that is documented through assessment and certification, or are a small or large hospitality business owner looking to find an effective and legitimate educational training institution that will provide your employees quick, easy, and affordable operational training, well then, the Pineapple Academy is for you. The Pineapple Academy is the premier provider of online education in the areas of food service training that is designed for both front and back of the house frontline workers in the restaurant and hospitality industries. Their current curriculum includes a variety of topics to fulfill your personal training needs, such as knife skills, food safety, customer service, cleaning and sanitation, and so much more. And during this time where staffing is a concern for everyone, Their training programs provide an easy and affordable way for hospitality businesses and individuals to manage and implement a high-class training program. And as someone who has taken several of their training courses, I can honestly say that they are always focusing on the needs of their customers and the industry while constantly adding to their training library. They offer food service training solutions for individuals and businesses of any size in either an individual or group training format, depending on your specific needs. Their training is designed to be fast, effective, and an easy way to get real-world practical knowledge for yourself or your team. And it is the perfect tool to onboard new team members and standardize your training. And the best news is you can get started for as little as $9.99 a month with their personal plan or $14.99 a month for their business plan. They also have custom options available for businesses as well. And you can try it for free before you buy because today I am including a custom link just for you in the show notes and description section of this episode, which will give you a 14-day free trial. So... What do you have to lose? Go and check out the Pineapple Academy today. I have really enjoyed their courses, and I know you will too. Okay, so now back to the show. So then you graduated with your bachelor's degree, and and, and maybe some people listening don't know about like the career development offices and, and the places that can help place you in jobs. So how did that help you, and how did you get to be the chef of all these professional sports teams and these professional athletes and Olympians? Great question. So I 
had two two paths. I could either I could either take the um, clinical path or I could take the sports performance path. And growing up, I always played sports. I was always um, into soccer and running uh, track and fields. Also, also in high school, I did it. Um, so my six year old self wanted to be a, a soccer star, wanted to play a professional sport, but I was never really my upbringing was never conducive to that. So part of fulfilling that dream was working within sports performance world and supporting athletes. So that was a big mo- motivation. I thought it was the coolest thing that I could cook for, for athletes. And um, when I took athletic performance cuisine with Adam Sachs, with chef Sachs, that just instilled the, the essence of what I wanted to do. You know, it made me realize, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. This is what I'm going to be good at. But at the time, yet again, just like in uh, my freshman year of college, I wasn't really good at, at cooking for athletes. And I remember my practical was to cook a meal for, and this is, this is the most ironic part. Um, it's a beautiful story. My, my practical was very selected by Chef Adam Sachs because I was going to go to Cornell to cook for wrestlers for the wrestling team after college. And he gave me a practical test of creating a post weigh-in meal. And so at the time I wasn't familiar at all with uh, weigh-ins and how that worked and anything of that sort. And the essence of post weigh-in is you want, you know, low FODMAP uh, vegetables or minimal vegetables, uh, easy to digest carbohydrates, very high carbohydrate, lean proteins, um, and minimal fat. Um, make it as, as delicious as possible by using sauces of a very sugary sauce, like sweet and sour or whatever the case may be. Um, and of course there's more science to that, but I, I cooked a chicken with bacon and cheese, which is the, <laughs> the most non posed way meal that you can cook. And, you know, like he didn't even eat it. He looked at it and he's like, yeah, Mario, this is not, I'll give you, I'll give you a grade, but this is not what I was looking for. So, you know, that made me nervous too. And um, I had already gotten a, an internship with Cornell university and I was going to be cooking uh, for the Cornell wrestlers after graduating college. And I got that opportunity through chef Adam Sachs. Um, he, through his, con- through his contacts and his uh, professional network got um, in contact with Clint Waterberg, who at the time was a nutrition, uh, one of the, uh, the registered dietitians at Cornell university. He's also a wrestler, wrestler at Cornell. Um, so he stayed around and developed and gave his time to that end an athlete. So he met Adam Sachs at a CPSDA conference and they hit it off. And, you know, he said, Hey, I'm looking for uh, an intern for a year. So I jumped to the opportunity because my my twin sister, I have a twin sister. Um, she went to Cornell university for hospitality. Wow. So at, that, at the time she was graduating from the hospitality school at, at Cornell. And so I was going to catch her last semester while I was there. And, um, you know, it all sort of aligned and, and I jumped right into it. Um, and what's funny is that I was now cooking and managing pre-weigh in and post-weigh in food for all these wrestlers. So again, to my point earlier, uh, big circle to the story, uh, you know, at first you may not be really good at it, but eventually when you learn the essence, when you, when you're surrounded by professionals who know more than you, uh, you can become better. And that was my, my situation. You know, I, I became really good. And, and now one of my expertise is culinary nutrition for uh, weight cutting sports. You know, after that, I, I jumped into the UFC and I, I worked with the UFC for the, for two years. So, you know, we'll get to that later, but what at first seemed like the most foreign thing became my expertise within the mm-hmm. culinary nutrition realm. And this is because the, I'm guessing 
the wrestlers don't want a lot of weight for weigh-in because they want to get into a lower category. But then when they're done wrestling, they need all that food back in them to you know keep strong, right? Yeah. Right. So you you get well cutting weight means or weight decrease means you know eliminating um glycogen, so uh energy stored muscles means eliminating fluids, dehydration, so on and so forth. So pose weigh in, you weigh in, you qualify for your for your weight class, and then um you gotta rehydrate, you gotta refuel the body of everything that's been lost. And of course there's a science to that. So mm-hmm. um, you know, over the last you know, ten years I've been really focused on that stuff. So then you went on to other teams, right? You, you did you did football, you did hockey, you did baseball. I mean, so you're not just doing wrestling, you're doing all sports, right? Yeah, I started with wrestling and wrestling couldn't have been the the most foreign sport in my mind. Growing up in Bolivia and South America, you know, it's soccer or soccer. There's nothing really <laughs> else. And yeah, truck and field was part of what we did, but it was soccer or soccer. And um, you know, wrestling and and mixed martial arts is very foreign. It's very not a lot of people do it. And when I got into the wrestling house at Cornell, I was so out of place. I felt so uncomfortable. Again, going back to the same feeling that I had at Johnson Wells in day one, you know, it was it was so foreign. Um, but it became one of the funnest years of my life too, because I was able to interact with, you know, Ivy leaguers with uh, very successful wrestlers with uh, a, a coaching staff that was excellent with Clint, who, you know, eventually he Clint left Cornell and went to the UFC and the UFC was partners, was becoming a partner of trifecta at the time. And that's how I got that connection. So we got a full circle, you know, I think that's something important also for anybody listening uh, that professional realm. You guys are hearing my my story and how my chef from high school or my chef from Johnson and Wells got me a connection at Cornell, my first job, and that that job eventually got me this job at Trifecta. So it all comes full circle. So you know, maintaining those relationships is very important as one grows in the industry. Yeah, because you don't see it at the time, but no. when you get there, you look back and you go, "Wow, look at all these steps and these connections," and, the, and you can see right. it so clearly at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the beauty of it. I guess in hindsight, everything's 2020 you're right, and you can connect all the dots and whatnot. But, uh, you know, having that mindset going into it, I think is very important. Um, you never know what life will provide eventually. Um, but to, to answer your question, um, after working with Cornell for a year, I got a job as a sous chef at Exos. And Exos is a high-intensity training center for athletes. It used to be called Athletes Performance when they first started. And then they changed to Exos. Uh, they rebranded to Exos. So they have a physical therapy facility. They have uh, training, you know, strength and conditioning uh, floor as well, all in the same facility. They had massage therapy, they had nutrition, and they had a culinary aspect. And uh, this is in Phoenix, Arizona. I worked for uh, the the headquarters in Phoenix for two years, and so there I cooked for uh, two combine classes. So college athletes, uh, football athletes that are trying to get drafted into the NFL, go to Axos and train, and so we got to feed them and and. Uh, personalize them, their meals 100% mm. to their needs, which is the essence of what I do now, right? That's really what Mario as a professional is becoming all about. Um, and that, that's how I, I believe I, I am becoming a, a culinary nutrition thought leader. Um, we can dive into that a little bit more later, but we also had uh, the Arizona Coyote, the NHL hockey team uh, that would come in. So we would feed them. We had collegiate athletes that would come in and train. We had Soccer athletes that would come and train, high school athletes that would come and train. We had um, some baseball players also that would come and train. And so I, I cooked for a lot of of athletes of any of various sports. There, uh, collaborated with the dietitians, and you know we we created the the one hundred percent personalized meals in the kitchen. 
And after two years there, I decided to go back into the restaurant industry, went back to LA um, and I worked at a two-star Michelin restaurant uh, in LA called Providence. And that was yet again, another culinary school. That was like, (laughs) I went in there and I felt like I knew nothing. Everything was so, so systematized. Everything needed to be exactly done the way they need to be done to the gram. It was, it was just another level of cookery, right? And I had always dreamt about working in a Michelin restaurant. And when this opportunity came about, I, I jumped into it. I was scared to the bone. I was intimidated, um, but it, it ended up being some of the best 10, ten months of my life because I, I became that much better of a cook. You know, I, I really, it, it, if culinary school gave me the basics, this job made sure that I applied them and that I knew how to work better, faster, cleaner, smarter. And, and, and that's a big leaks at the end of the day. This goes back to being a well-rounded professional. You know, it's another tool in right. your toolbox. And then later on, you'll have all of this that you can fall back on. And that's part of paying those dues. Exactly. And those 10 months was, let me tell you, was paying a lot of dues. <laughs> <laughs> paying a lot of dues. So, it, and, and to your point, yeah, it, it you know, I, I went back to the industry. Yes, I, I've been cooking for athletes and whatnot, but I, I didn't feel like I was evolving as a cook. And I went back to the industry and into a place where I was uncomfortable again because I knew that was what was going to make me a better cook, a better chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it did. It did. I am very grateful for the 10 months. It was a lot of stress. Um, I don't wish that personal experience to for anybody. Not that it was negative. There was just a lot, a, a lot of other factors in my life going on at the time. But uh, through that experience, again, I became a better, well-rounded uh, professional. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, what are the sh- what are the athletes, especially the professional ones or these wrestlers and stuff, how do they look at you? How do they view you? Are you like their hero? They love you because <laughs> you're giving them food? Or are they like, oh, this guy's giving us some, you know, wheat germ grass salad, something that they're like, no, we want ribs or <laughs> how do they how do they see you? You know, I- I constantly ask that that question. I, I don't think I have a clear answer to that. Um, from experience, you know, you can become a homie of the guys. You become one of, of the guys. You become part of the team, and like you develop a relationship with them if you're in a place long term. Um, but ultimately, as a chef, as a performance chef, the the essence of the job is cooking food that is very um, familiar to the athlete, but the athlete, sixteen year old athlete. In, in themselves, like the kid and in, in the athlete, right? Okay. Um, but you got to make it taste good and healthy at the same time. So let's say this is the perfect example I can give you. Like let's make let's make a mac and cheese, um, but make it healthy. So instead of using a you know cream cheese and uh, a white mother sauce base, you use uh, butternut and you roast the butternut and you use nutritional yeast. And yeah, you can add cheese for the cheesiness, but you reduce the fat and you're giving them that much more. You can add turmeric for anti-inflammatory purposes. So you kind of play with that without them really knowing. Um, and, and you make something that is very typical, very classic, very kid-like, but you make it healthy and you provide it to them. So you kind of meet halfway, like mm. as a chef, you got to be creative in, in, in making wings healthy, you know, make a, uh, a buffalo sauce that's that's healthy, that is not covered in butter, but also meet the athletes once and, 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 and eats in that sense. So right. it's it's both an art um, and, and a science at the same time. Um, so... I like to think that they look at me as a homie, but who knows, man? Sometimes there were there were, there were people that didn't like what we cook, so <laughs> you can't please everybody at the end of the day. Yeah, because it could be tough because most people look at a chef like, yeah, they're going to give me – because they don't have restrictions, right? You can give them the best 
fat or whatever you want. But then you're going to look at it like you're a doctor too. Like you're trying to keep them at their best performance, their best health. So you have to put in some, you know, restrictions or barriers. So there's that balancing act that you would have to carry out to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. I love working with athletes. It's, they're so fun. They're so funny all the time. It's, they have so much swag. It's, <laughs> I, I feel cool around them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So tell us about where you're at now. So it's all come full circle and you're you're at Trifecta. Where yeah. is that located? What is it? Kind of explain it to the listeners. Absolutely. So Trifecta is the largest organic meal delivery service in the country. We are the main competitors of HelloFresh, Freshly, Blue Apron, so on and so forth. We are a meal, we're not a meal kit, we are a meal delivery company. So we uh we're based in Sacramento, California. So to finish my story, my professional story, I was in in this Michelin star restaurant in LA for 10 months, lived there for 10 months. And Clint, who was my boss at, uh, at Cornell university reached out to me and said, Hey, are you still interested in sports performance? And at the time, while I was in the kitchen and and at Providence, I was really thinking, okay, what's my vision and, and what am I doing? Am I fulfilling that vision working at a restaurant? And ultimately the answer was no. My vision is to stand in the gap over food and health are today and where they get to be tomorrow. And yeah, though it was nice to cook for artists that would come in, for the heir of Samson that would come in, like very wealthy people, provide them with a nice experience, which ultimately is what hospitality is all about. Mm-hmm. I wasn't fulfilling my greater purpose or what I feel is my greater purpose. And so the text came at the perfect time. I gave him a call and he said, hey, you know, I'm now at the UFC. I was like, yeah, but I saw that. You know, we cut up a little bit. Um, and, and he mentioned that he, the UFC was partnering with Trifecta. And at the time meal deliveries were about to pop off of were about to be the big thing and they weren't too popular just yet and um he asked me have you heard of trifecta and i was like never have i heard i don't know what that is and so <laughs> he sent me a link to it he got me in contact with greg Connolly, who is the ceo of trifecta and um you know next week he flew me up to sacramento from la and he showed me around um he showed me what trifecta was all about pretty much wine and dine me. <laughs> they, they really wanted to bring me up. And uh, it, it was a great experience. I loved the essence of what Trifecta was, you know, the, the question that sold me on why I wanted to work for Trifecta, you know, I asked Greg, I was like, hey, man, okay, I get you guys were in LA at one point, like, why did you move up here? Why Sacramento? And he said, because here in Sacramento, we have, we're right next to the capital and we can influence Medicaid and medical bill, bills so that we can provide nutrition um as a way of supporting a lifestyle and not medicine right and i was like okay but what about the pharmaceutical industry what about all, all these big you know medical companies that are in it for uh the population taking drugs to not not prevent but just sort of put a band-aid on on, on, on their health issues and he was like well we're going head to head with them and i was like wow okay i i love this i love that trifecta really is for the people and our, our mission is um, to help people get to the best uh, best self. You know, Trifecta stands for body, mind, social. That's why we have the, the Trifecta logo. So um, taking care of all aspects of the human being and helping America get back into shape. That's the mission of the company. So I was very much so sold on that, on the vision. Um, Greg is a, an honest, honest man. So is his sister, Elizabeth Connolly, who is the president uh, and co-founder of the company. So um, the culture here is, is insane. I, I love it. I never thought I was going to work in an office setting, to be completely honest. But you know, I I became the executive chef at the time for the company, and I started traveling, taking care of 
developing the program for the UFC. So I started developing the culinary nutrition program for the UFC, um, working in, in conjunction with the nutrition uh, department um, and team of the UFC. We traveled throughout the world for two years looking for athletes. So that's how I ended up here. Um, and that's, you know, that's a little, a little bit about trifecta. And, and well, it looks like a, a great company. I was looking on their website. I went on and I actually took the meal plan quiz oh, that's <laughs> that awesome. they have on the yeah. website just to see what I would need. But they have a dog-friendly office. It has a stocked kitchen with uh, snacks. It gives you free meal replacement yeah. uh, for employees at their home. So, and it looks like, you know, the, the the pictures that are on there, it's like a fun place, a, you know, good culture there, you know, and a real a healthy place to, to work. So that looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little more context there. What I'm doing is I've become the research and development uh, chef. And I've also, I'm also still within the sports performance industry and um, I'm taking care of what we're calling trifecta performance. So this is something completely new though. We, we did a pilot program with the UFC for two years, that partnership ended at the beginning of the year. Um, and now we've developed uh, intellectual property um, so we can train chefs that may not have a nutrition background mm. on how to understand and how to communicate with the nutrition department and create 100% personalized meals for the athletes. So we're currently in partnership with the Sacramento Kings. We're again, relaunching and repiloting the program. And um, the essence of the program is everything that was in here was put into intellectual property for Trifecta. Um, into a training program that can be uh, that can be offered to various sports teams, and um, help the co- the culinary staff within that that uh, facility create nutritionally dense and uh, personalized meals for athletes. So that's where the nutrition world is going next, and um, we like to believe that we're definitely leading the the charge on that end. That's awesome. And I remember when Johnson and Wales had a relationship with uh, Tulane Medical School. They we used to send our nutritionists and even some of our faculty out there to train the doctors. That's right. So the doctors that are going through it instead of saying, "Hey, pharmacy, drugs, you know, pills, go food, you know, tell them that eat, change your diet could change your life. You don't need necessarily or always don't need pills." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um I mean, there's a time and a place for medicine, mm-hmm. you know, for sure, but uh, Chronic diseases can be prevented and and, and uh, fixed through with food. You know, food is medicine. So now, if someone's listening, you know, it doesn't have to be an athlete. It could be. It could be a business that wants to reach out to you, but it could be just an individual that wants to look at your, you know, paleo, your keto, your clean, whatever the type of meal kits or not meal kits. So I guess the meal plans that you would send to them. That's free delivery and all the recycled packaging. How could they get information on that? Yeah, great question. So uh, anybody that may be interested in Trifecta, you guys can check uh, our website out, trifectanutrition.com. We're also on all social media, so our handle is at Trifecta. Um, and we have uh, various meal plans uh, ranging from vegan, vegetarian, clean, paleo, classic, and keto. And every single meal plan has different macronutrients. Um, and that's something that we pride ourselves in. We are a macro balanced company. So the food that you're getting is not only high quality and you have, you're receiving organic ingredients, um, but you're also getting meals that are macro balanced and they're meant to uh, help you um, either lose weight, gain weight, or maintain, uh, improve your, your health at the moment. So uh, every single plan has a different purpose. We have, like you said, chef, we, we have uh, quizzes online that you can take so that you see which meal plan may be fit may may fit you best, and you can also understand 
uh, how to calculate your macros and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of resources that we have on our website. Well, the food looks delicious. Now, it's delivered, I think you said, on their Fridays. So how does someone normally order? Do they order a week at a time and every Friday they get a replacement or is it different packages? Yes. So it's a weekly subscription. We're a subscription-based company. And what you do is week to week, you receive a box either Friday or Saturday. Um, and the food is delivered fresh, never frozen. So we actually cryovac the meals. So we cook them, we put them in, in, in trays, and then those are cryovac and uh, they're refrigerated at, all the way from when they're finished being cooked and, and they're put on the tray all the way to the delivery. So the meals come in a box that is uh, that has compostable panels. We just changed that technology to uh, compostable uh, curbside compostable panels. Uh, so we're also very much so our, our CEO is very big on on the environment and on saving the environment and reducing mm-hmm. recycle uh, these of uh, recyclable products and plastic. Um, so we're re- very proud about that, and we're working on some really exciting technology as well for our trays and for our, our uh, gel packs. So we have gel packs in the in the boxes that keep the boxes cold. And that's delivered either by UPS, FedEx, or GLS. And uh, that, again, like I said, that box comes on either Friday or Saturday. So you do all the United States and Hawaii and Alaska, but how long does it typically last? Is it a week, two weeks? 10 days post-delivery is the, the, the shelf life. So we we promise two weeks, really. Um, and if you want to freeze it, you can freeze it, and that's up to three months. Oh, okay. So great. Now, what if it was a company that was like a, someone had a team or, or a college or something that wanted food for it? Do, do they do the same thing or they would contact like corporate somebody there and then set it up differently? Yeah. So, so we, we also have a, a strategic business uh, department, um, which is more so a, a B2B aspect of, of the business, um, though our, our model is more direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. We use it direct to consumer to fulfill the needs of a, of, a, of a business. So if any company wants to get the meals delivered to them. Um, we, we also offer that and we have a wholesale program and so on and so forth. Um, but also from the trifecta performance aspect that there's a team out there, anybody that's listening, that's interested in, Hey, I want my chefs to be taught how to understand nutrition so that they can create personalized meals for my team. We're also offering that on, on a business to business aspect. So you guys can always reach out uh, personally to me, mario.limadran at trifecta nutrition.com is my email. Or you guys can chat in into the website and our uh, customer service department will be able to assist you and point you in the right direction. But we're always open to talking to anybody of that sort. We actually have a couple studies going on with the University of Miami and we're sending the meals to them so they can use the, the food to fulfill the needs of the study. So we're in various places in that sense. It's very exciting. Great. Now put all those links in the description and the show notes for the show. And it'll be, you know, with your bio, your bio and all your attachments so that if anyone is listening and maybe they're driving or something, they couldn't catch that link. They'll be able to look there and find it and click on it. Super. Now, what about if someone was like a culinary student or thinking about culinary, or maybe they're in high school and they're trying to decide what they want to study and they had questions, could could they reach out to you? Would you be Please. willing to speak to someone and, and give yes. them a little bit of, you know, looking back strategies and, and talk to them through it? By all means, yeah, yeah. I'm more than happy to always support uh, young young students, young people looking into getting to culinary school or into the industry. Uh, it's something I've been doing quite a bit as of recently. Um, and I find a lot of joy. So by all means, please reach out. If not by email, you guys can find me on all social medias, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at Chef Mario. Um, and depending on which one, which social media, it may be at Chef Mario dot underscore, but you'll see my, my uh, name and picture come up very easily. 
Awesome. And I'll add all those too to the show notes. So if someone's listening, they can find you that way. Perfect. Great. So now let's look back at culinary school. Now that you have some perspective and you can look back and you can, you know, you've got that return on investment and looking at all the studies you did and those tough chefs like me, <laughs> was it worth it? I mean, would you do it again? Yeah. Would you change anything? You know, there's always a never ending discussion as to whether culinary school is, is worth the investment. And I think culinary school is worth the investment for two reasons. One, because it makes the industry that much more professional and it, it, it feeds the, the industry professional people who are uh, better equipped to do the job better. And also, you, uh, this is where I struggle. Ultimately, my answer is yes, it was very much so worth it because without the education that I got from Johnson & Wells, um, I wouldn't be here at, at Trifecta. I wouldn't be doing research and development for the meal plants. I wouldn't be uh, developing a culinary, a world-class culinary nutrition program, you know, I wouldn't have the tools to utilize ESHA and analyze the nutrition of every single recipe. Um, all those things I learned at Johnson & Wells, all the tools that I have under my belt are 100% being utilized right now at this job. Mm. Um, and, and I've gotten really good at it, which is, which is the best part. But that, that's where, where the fun comes in, right? Um, where, where I struggle sometimes with culinary school is, and this is me being super candid, mm -hmm. is if someone is going to invest close to $80,000 and they don't have any financial aid and they're taking out loans and they're in debt for $80,000. And the only thing they do with that is go to a, a, a restaurant and work in a line and get paid $13 an hour. Then that's where the discrepancy, that's where my heart can say that, yes, you should go to culinary school. Because if, if that's the case, you can also go to a culinary school called real life experience in a kitchen, right? But my advice is if, if you are going to do that, if you want to skip culinary school, which I suggest you at least do two, two years of, of, of an associates, at least to have some education under your belt, um, is to go to a really good restaurant or a restaurant that scares you, a restaurant that you feel you're going to get fired every single day that you walk in. And though that sounds awful, you're going to get, eventually you're going to get really good at it. I remember my freshman year working at this restaurant in uh, Miracle Mile in Coral Gables. Uh, it's called Talavera. It's a Mexican restaurant. And I remember the first weekends, they were awful. I, I was messy. I was slow. I, I, I didn't know how to move. People actually made bets on how long I would, st I would stay in the restaurant. <laughs> yep. Cooks actually did that. And I ended up staying for a year and a half and became one of the lead, lead cooks there. But, you know, over time, after six weeks or six months, sorry, I had a little switch in my brain and all of a sudden I could do the job. I could do it really well. And I was very excited and I was very motivated to do it. So um, there's something to be said about working in good restaurants with, with good chefs that will also teach you a lot of what you may learn mm -hmm. in culinary school or will support the education that you get in culinary school. Right. Yeah. And I always just tell my students that like, hopefully nobody's here to be a cook because you're spending way too much money, way too much time, resources. You can go learn that. Mm -hmm. When you go to that, you know, culinary school, you really should be thinking that is going to be a career. You're going to be a chef and owner, a food and beverage director. Absolutely. You know, it's a profession, you know, and you don't want to spend it. And there's also good options too, like, you know, community colleges. Some of them have some great programs. There's great yeah. programs in the high school level. So yeah. they could, they could look out other areas. But as you mentioned, get that financial aid and then. And there's a, a place called affordablecollegeprep.com. And it's it's run, it's a nonprofit. It's run by Dr. Alan Seidman, which you may know from Johnson & Wales in Miami. He was mm -hmm. the chair of hospitality. Oh, yes. And he, runs the, he runs that nonprofit. And it's free. And it helps people find loans, how to write essays, how to get into college, finding the right college for you mm -hmm. and financial. So, that's awesome. Again, that's 
that's all part of that that research and doing that due diligence before you go sign on the line and, and pay and, and it may not be what's for you. So um, I agree. I think college and in general and, and any type of higher education and lifelong learning is really important, but it's got to be tailored and customized to each individual. 100%. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. I think you know, when I was going to school, I, I thought that was, you know, you finish high school, you go to college and it was very, is that sort of old school mindset, very classical mindset. Um, mm-hmm. But what you just said, I think it's, it's beautiful and absolutely true. It needs to be tailored to the person and not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody, uh, you know, that successful has gone to, to school for, for everything. So I think that there shouldn't be any shame in not going to school if that's not for you, mm-hmm. but also do you, your due diligence in working for really good chefs and really good kitchens so you can become the best professional possible mm-hmm. right if you're really get, going into this looking at it as a professional aspect then put put in the work because it, mm-hmm. if you don't you will be a cook that unfortunately unfortunately makes 13 dollars an hour for the rest of your life and ultimately that's that doesn't yield to a comfortable lifestyle either yeah and that's something maybe take a gap year and go work in a restaurant before culinary school and find out yeah. if you like yeah. washing dishes and sweeping floors and being in that environment and hot and working Absolutely. holidays and nights and if you still like it then sign the line and go and do that but as you mentioned it's really about your passion i've had people on this this podcast that two two guests that were previously lawyers you know they were attorneys Wow. They hated it, and then they gave it up to go to culinary school wow. because that's, that's where their passion is, and they love it. Of course, you know their lifestyle changed, and they had to go through some real dips. And I'm sure that's happened with culinary school. People have gone on to be culinary school and maybe chefs, and then gave it up and went after something else. And yeah, all sure. of this could have been prevented if they found out their passion from the beginning, mm-hmm. and they would have saved a lot of time and probably a lot of heartache and, and resources. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that's essential. Agreed. So as we come to the end of our chat today, and before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you want to leave with the listeners? You know, something you want to share, something you want to, you know, uh, tell someone that may be going into this industry or maybe going into culinary school or just something in general. Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. Um, first of all, always keep your knife sharp that, you know, having sharp knives may sound repetitive and like, oh, this guy's saying the same that everybody says, but like, I mean it. It, it's going to distinguish you as a good cook or or an okay cook. And I've gone through a phase in my life where my sharp, my knives were not sharp and my shives were not cut properly. And, you know, I had to cut a lot of shives and chives and get yelled at by many chefs and, and that doesn't feel good. So first and foremost, always take care of your own tools. Um, and, and speaking about taking care of your own stuff, take care of your own mental health as well in the industry. Um, take care of your health overall as well. The industry, unfortunately, is known for having substance abuse, um, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Um, and that doesn't yield to a well professional life. Um, and that lifestyle can burn someone out very quickly. So don't be afraid of, of you know, if you're have, going under a lot of stress in a, in a kitchen, it's okay to st- take a step back and, and say, hey, I need to take a month for my own personal well being, uh, for my mental health and whatnot. Um, I think that's something that is changing quite a bit in our industry. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, I thankfully I never really struggled, though there was a lot of stress in my life at one point, like I mentioned in LA. Um, you know, meditation, prayer, whatever mm-hmm. you you uh, assign or prescribe prescribe to in spirituality, 
um, and also staying healthy, exercising, getting enough sunlight because we can work in kitchens forever and not get any sunlight at all yeah. um, is essential. So definitely keep that in the back of your mind as, as someone who's going into the culinary industry. Um, get really good shoes that fit you very comfortably. Um, it's going to either make or break your eight to 10 hour shifts and um, always be presentable when, when it comes to going into a kitchen. You know, I've worked with a lot of cooks that come in and are not, they don't have their, their hair, their hairbrush. They don't have it. They, they look like they just rolled out of bed. They, their uniforms are dirty or wrinkled and that's never a good look. Again, those little details are going to set you apart from being a good cook to a great cook. And I think that's, that's very important. Those are great points. And that's something that you learn in culinary school. You can oftentimes go into the kitchen and you can see someone that's been to culinary school because of that, you know, that boot camp, that discipline, those lineups, those uniform checks, those knife checks. And you can sometimes see that, but you can also get it through an apprentice program working under some great chefs that would teach you those, those skills, those habits, those fundamentals that you need to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, Mario, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Thank you, Chef. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. and I'm glad we we were able to connect again. Yeah, it was great to catch up. Good to see you. You take care now. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207 207- 835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.